Live coverage begins on KPFA at 5 p.m. each night of the conventions. That starts with the Democrats on Monday, August 25th. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover, Open Book. Good afternoon and welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. Today we pay homage to renowned Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. Mahmoud Darwish passed away on Saturday, 9th, August 2008, after 67 years of a life jumping from one peak to another, rising higher every time, transcending his own successes. He was able to see what no one else can see in life politics, and even people, expressing his visions in a language that seems to be made for only him to write with. We take a listen to eulogies from around the world and with an interview with fellow poet Sinan Atun, speaking about, speaking about Mahmoud Dorish's life as well as his rich contributions to the world. Stay with us. Ever since his passing on August 9th, eulogies have been pouring in from the entire Arab world and beyond. Dr. Zaina Zatari brings us some of these tributes, which she has translated from the original Arabic, lamenting Mahmoud Darwish's death and celebrating his legacy. Shortly after his death, a group of his friends from all over the Arab world wrote a call titled, Let Him Embrace the Land of Galilee. In it they say, In these moments filled with sorrow, as we say goodbye to our iconic poet, Mahmoud Derwish, we see sadness written on the map of Palestine, and we feel the depth of this tragedy that comes to crown the era of defeat that we live in. This call is sent to our people in Palestine, to whom Derwish was and will continue to be the poet of the dream and the meaning of the land. It is a call of the right of the poet of Galilee to embrace his land and rest in the place that witnessed the birth of his poetry and filled his poems with the smell of almonds and olives. The son of Galilee and its poet has a right to be buried in his land. And no one should be able to stop this grand Palestinian poet from the final return to his homeland. This call is sent to everyone to work together so that the land can regain the body of its words, which has become great poetry written by a great poet. Rajay Asaf is a playwright and a director from Lebanon. To Mahmoud Derwish, the address, Palestine. 
The poet of siege that reduces time. The omen of rain that the wall cannot stop. The spokesman of the martyrs that is written on the ground. The chanter of the coming certainty that has no doubt. Your passing brings in us deep anxiety and unrestrained fear. Who will sew our wrinkles on the forehead of the world? Who will transform our tragedy to a poem that challenges the decay? Who will flip the letters between hope and pain and fear and poetry? You left and you were victorious over death as you said. But we, those alive, we suffer from siege. The wall limits our vision. We hear not the voice of the martyr, nor that of certainty. Except none of us will be alone, for your poetry is with us. In the siege, life is time. Between remembering its beginning and forgetting its end. Here at the hills of smoke, on the doorsteps to the house, there is no time for time. We do what those rising to God do. We forget pain. Marcel Khalifi, musician and composer from Lebanon, wrote, And I adore my life because if I die, I will be ashamed of my mother's tears. Perhaps this is the only time that Mahmoud Darwish was actually ashamed because he departed before his mother and left her tears to cry him and did not leave her poetry to mourn him. I, who carried your poetry and traveled with it far, I, who carried his land, his longing to his mother, his Rita, his olives, his Carmel, do you believe me when I say that poets do not die but pretend to be dead? You, the mythic magical creature, there are those who speak about you as if they're telling their grandmother's tales. How beautiful you are. We have you. We have your intimate poems, a cloud of dreams in this universe. confronted with the bulldozers of history, asked Mahmoud Darwish once, to stand before them and preserve the memory and celebrate life as he did. He lived in permanent exile and died in a strange land, but his poems are at home in the indestructible archive of our collective memory. These are the words of Iraqi poet and novelist, New York University professor Sinan Antoun, saying goodbye to Mahmoud Darwish in a column for the Egyptian publication Al-Ahram Weekly. Melihe spoke with him about Mahmoud Darwish's place in history. 
He started writing poetry at a very early age. He learned to read and write on his grandfather's lap and then, of course, went to school. It is said that on the, you know, the celebration of Israel's Independence Day, which for the Palestinians is the Nakba, um, he wrote a poem and recited it, but the poem was antithetical to the general atmosphere because it talked about a little boy who had lost his house and whose family had lost their farming land and everything. And he was summoned by the Israeli officer the next day and threatened and told that his father would lose his work permit. And Mahmoud Darwish said that at that day and on that day and at that very young age, he realized the power of words and he realized that this was not just a game, but a very powerful game and continued to write poetry and became also politically active. The important thing to remember is the first decade or so, the Palestinians inside Israel were living under military rule and they didn't have a freedom of movement. It was constrained. So they lived under military rule and it's important to remember that he had lost his house and his family had lost everything when he was still six years old. And when they were forced to leave their village, you know, in the chaos of the exodus, he was lost for a few hours and his mother had to look for him in the dark. But also he was marked as a refugee, having gone to Lebanon, you know, he was called a refugee by others. And even after coming back, they returned to another village, not to their old one, which was completely decimated. So they lived as internal exiles, and he did so from a very early age. And then he became uh, politically active in the Israeli Communist Party, which was back then the only party in Israel that allowed Arabs uh, to work. And he began to publish and became quite famous. So by the time he left Israel in 1971 on a scholarship to Moscow, he was already famous inside Palestine and in the Arab world. And it's important to remember and emphasize that he was imprisoned three times because of his poetry, not because of any act of violence. He was imprisoned three times. He was put under house arrest uh, for a long time and he was banned from leaving Haifa, where he lived as a young man for almost five years. So in 1971, when he was in Moscow, he decided not to go back and went to Cairo for a year and then to Beirut and then to various exiles. His first uh, volume of poetry, Leaves of Olives, was published mm -hmm. in 1964. And subsequently, mm -hmm. in 1966, it was followed by Lover from Palestine. What were his initial poems like? Well, his initial poems, like most poets, were uh, lyrical and romantic, but you could already see this also a thread of anger, uh, understandably so, because this was a time when uh, Palestinians were not recognized as being present on their land. Back then, it was uh, not abnormal for someone like Golda Meir to say, there are no Palestinians. So, of course, like all colonized people or people whose uh, cultural and historical identity is being erased, one feels the need to anchor oneself in their surroundings and in their land and in their history to say that I do exist and this is who I am. I just want to add that he had to, of course, go to school and learn Arabic, but also Hebrew. So the important thing is that he 
knew much about Israeli culture and about, and he, you know, even liked a lot of Hebrew poetry. So he also knew how to address the Israelis, not just how to address the Palestinians and the Arabs. This uh, early uh, lyrical phase, whose poetry was still beautiful, but less complex than his later poetry, of course, expressed love of land and love of one's surroundings and also explored in a way the local mythology you know the Canaanite mythology of Palestine and, and other symbols as well one could see that there was a very rich talent and this was a project of a major poet if he were to transcend this early phase and that he did against all odds and against all expectations because by this time, this kind of uh, what was called resistance poetry, committed poetry of a certain political function, it was important for that period of time, but many people afterwards tried, you know, unconsciously or consciously to pigeonhole Mahmoud Darwish and keep him as merely a resistance poet, but he transcended that quickly and refused to keep writing in the same vein, and that's the most important thing about his trajectory, I think. I think it's also important to always remember the complexity and the the multitudes inside Darwish's poetic persona, because you find, of course, the angry person who is suffering from injustice but I would contend that no one has been able to humanize his enemy like Mahmoud Darwish does early on and until very later because for him it is not about hate but it's about historical injustice and there are numerous examples of how he humanizes the enemy and he has these beautiful even beautiful the most beautiful love poems about a Jewish Israeli woman whose name is Rita and it's become very famous because it's been put to music by Marcel Khalifa. What was about his life in uh, Egypt and specifically in Lebanon and in later in Paris that impacted his poetry so much? Well, the stay in Egypt was very short. Beirut is really the the one of the most important phases because at that time Beirut was truly the center of Arab culture, also Arab politics. All the leftist revolutionary movements in the Arab world had found a home in Lebanon and in Beirut. The the Palestinian resistance and the PLO uh, and all of its supporters was in, in Beirut. So Mahmoud Darwish moved there and joined the PLO, but he also started working at the uh, Center for Palestine Research and was the working on a very important journal called Palestinian Affairs. He also founded his own cultural review called Al-Karmel, which became actually one of the most important and elegant cultural reviews in the Arab world until it stopped a few years ago. But of course Beirut, because it had all the major Arab poets, historians and intellectuals, was an important opportunity for him to engage and to interact. And of course, now that he was out of Israel, he was able to move and travel and go to Europe and go to other places and really nurture himself more as a much larger than just a Palestinian or an Arab poet. And in terms of writing, uh, he developed quite well. But according to his own words, it was in Paris after 1982, after the Israeli invasion of of Beirut and the siege, the Palestinian resistance was forced to move to Tunis, all of it, and Mahmoud Darwish moved as well. But then he went to Paris. And now in Paris, being 
away from the noise and, and from daily political work, he was able to develop his work much better. And this is when he starts to incorporate, you know, world narratives and mythology to write about Palestine, but at the same time about the much larger context of human suffering from 1492. And I think in the late 80s and the early 1990s, it was the the 500th anniversary of of uh, the so-called discovery of the New World. Um, that's important in that it simultaneously announced the end of a certain world in, in Al-Andalus and the exodus of, of Jews and Muslims from Spain and the beginning of the new world with everything that it entailed. So in this phase, Mahmoud Darwish starts to use uh, mythology and the narratives about the Mongols and the Greeks, but also Native Americans to, you know, write these long epic poems uh, about these important moments in history. And Palestine becomes a metaphor for much more and this is I think when he really starts to establish himself as a universal poet rather than just the poet of Palestine or the voice of the Palestinians notions of exile and identity, they're very, very evident and explicit in Mahmoud Darwish's poetry. Well, it's evolved from the initial simple uh, universal gesture of, you know, I exist, I am who I am, I want you to recognize me, exemplified in his poem, write down, I'm an Arab. He evolved into starting to celebrate if the term is correct, uh, eternal exile, knowing that perhaps he could never ever go back uh, in his lifetime, at least like many of the Palestinian refugees, he started to celebrate uh, eternal exile, but also the notion of home change, since home for him was destroyed and forever lost. Home became his language and his poetry. Because at a certain point, the idea of the homeland was being threatened with erasure. So he kind of mythologized it. But afterwards, and that's where his genius shines, I think, once he realized that he made a monument out of this lost homeland, and he himself had become such a myth, a mythical figure with huge symbolic capital, he started to demythologize it, especially in his later poetry, to celebrate an eternal journey and to say that the road as he says in his own poetry, the road to to home is more beautiful than the home itself. Now, it's important to understand that that doesn't mean that home is not important, but for people like him, for whom the West Bank and Gaza are not really their home. He is from the Galilee, and that's where he grew up, and that's where he belongs. As he said, going back to Ramallah, to live in Ramallah is still a kind of exile for him because that is not his home. And that is the tragic uh, aspect of his life and even of his death, is that even in death he was not allowed to go back and be buried close to his family. And it's important to remember that he was not allowed to return to Palestine or Israel all those years. And every time he returned, 
which is only a few times, wants to attend the, wants to attend the funeral of the famous Palestinian novelist Emil Habibi, and the other time last year, it was with a special permit from the Israeli authorities because he was banned from returning to his country. And it's interesting when he went back to Haifa in a conversation that he had with a journalist from Haaretz, he said, I'm going to Haifa without any expectations. I have a barrier on my heart. Maybe at the moment of the encounter with the audience, a few tears will fall in my heart. Yes. I mean, it is... You know, beyond, even beyond the politics, it's really a, a tragic situation because here is a, a person who's been displaced so many times but who cannot even go back to... I just read that the, the cemetery, the, the only thing that was left of their village, al Birwa, is the cemetery, but even the cemetery is fenced and the original inhabitants are not even allowed to go back and visit the graves of their ancestors. And there is a theme in, in Mahmoud Darwish's poetry. He always talks about the wailing of houses buried under settlements. And this is probably one of the central themes. So, and it was very difficult for him to return because he was criticized by many Palestinians also for that return. Because some claim that for him being such an important cultural and political symbol to return uh, would be to lend legitimacy to this, the Israeli state and its policies. But as you can see, it was in a way a final return to, to say farewell to his land and his loved ones because he knew at the time that his heart's days were numbered in a way. And it's also difficult to go back, one should imagine, if one went back to their home and their home does not exist anymore and there are only traces. It's, it's not an easy thing to, to deal with. Mahmoud Darwish has been called many things, national poets of uh, Palestine, um, the voice of Palestinian people, the poet laureate of Palestine. And in a 2002 interview, he said that being the iconic voice of Palestine is a burden to him. Well, because there were pressures placed on him, consciously and unconsciously. People expected him always to write the kind of poetry that they wanted to hear. So we, we spoke of write down, I'm an Arab. So whenever he went to a poetry recital, people always wanted the old Mahmoud Darwish, but he wanted to be a poet who always developed. While he, of course, wanted to write about the suffering of his people, but he also wanted to write about the suffering of individuals and about himself. So he did not have the freedom that other poets have because he wrote a whole collection about love and erotic themes. Some people got upset and said, how can the national poet write about love? But it's amazing how he navigated all of that and how with every new collection he wrote in a different style and with time he forced his audience and the readers to develop with him and to be always ready and open to his new experimentations and to understand that while at a certain point it was important to preserve Palestine in memory and in reality, but perhaps it's also important to move on and to celebrate the Palestinian as an individual and a normal human being. The Palestinian doesn't have to be always the hero. He or she should also be the fragile, normal human being. And while one should celebrate one's uh, triumphs and one's resilience, one should also celebrate one's weaker points. And it's important that he also calls himself, when he was asked 
how do you see yourself? He said, I see myself as a Trojan poet, meaning history has given us Homer and the discourse of the, the victors. He says that I want to search for the voice of the Trojans, the voice that was lost. And he also celebrated simple life. And it's important to remember that one of his fam- most famous lines, which says, you know, we love life when, when we have time to do so. Meaning the stereotypical image of the Palestinians as loving death. This is how he countered it by saying that we actually love life. And even though he was against Oslo, but he returned to Ramallah to live as a citizen. And he said that the next challenge for Palestinians was now that perhaps, or it seems that this one major confrontation or battle has changed. It's, it's important now for us to write about simple and normal things. We don't always have to write about heroic themes and, and major epics. In 1998, Mahmoud Darwish had his second heart surgery and mm-hmm. a brief encounter with death. His heart stopped for two mm-hmm. minutes. How did his relationship with death change in his later years? Well, this was an important turning point because he experienced death and he realized that it was not that terrifying. And, that you know, he produced, uh, after that encounter, uh, one of his major poems called Mural, a really powerful uh, poem about the encounter with death and about how art and poetry and writing can triumph over death. But, of course, after that, he knew that perhaps his days were numbered. And it's interesting in a way and similar to what happened to Edward Said after he was diagnosed with leukemia is that his last decade of his life was the most prolific and the most inventive. And this shows us how as much as he is seen as the poet of Palestine and all of these other uh, titles, he was really, all he wanted to be was a poet. And he was loyal to poetry. And we see after 1998 the how he kept changing and writing in a new style and really challenging even the younger poets with the kind of poetry he wrote. As he changed his poetry, did people's relationship to his poetry change or it always remained the same? Well, he was asked once, you know, do, do you think you still have your old admirers? And his answer was beautiful in that he said it's like a train where some people get off the train. You know, there was there were some people who st- and still are who only like his older poetry and don't like his newer poetry as much. But then he says that new people got on the bus. So his poetry always had a massive impact. Uh, not only on the street, but also on the literary establishment, on the critics. There are very few poets who manage to be so popular with the average people, but also be successful with the critics. It's mentioned time and again, but it's important. Mahmoud Darwish could get thousands and thousands of people to show up to his poetry recitals. A number of times he recited poetry in sports stadiums, and they were full. And wherever he goes, it's always full and it's always sold out. And his poems were put to music by Marcel Khalifa and became very, very famous. But it's also, it's the poetry for daily survivor. There are many, many stories of people who were in prison and were being tortured. I read this just two days ago. And one of them used to recite 
Darwish's poetry to himself to stay strong, but also his beautiful love poetry. A lot of young young men would use his love poetry with their lovers and with their girlfriends. And another important aspect is that people used to carry his photographs, pictures of him in political demonstrations. It's a very well-known story that one of the Palestinians who were, was getting beat up by an Israeli soldier was asked, who is this in the picture about Mahmoud Darwish? And he said, it's my uncle. But later they discovered that it was Mahmoud Darwish and then they banned Palestinians from carrying Mahmoud Darwish's photographs in demonstrations. So that, that tells you something. And his contribution to Arabic poetry, modern Arabic poetry, is immense. I mean, with modern Arabic poetry, we had a move towards prose poetry and and most poets have abandoned writing with, with meter and rhyme. Mahmoud Darwish, because of his mastery of the tradition, is able to keep writing in the traditional form with meters and rhymes, yet he had so mastered these meters that when you read his poetry, you you see how it's musical, but it's closer to the conversational style. But another important thing is his diction. Uh, His diction is very rich in the kind of words and also in the kind of images that he uses. So he's really enriched the language with the kinds of words that he uses and also with the metaphors. Always like Heidegger's words that language is is dead metaphors, you know, all of these words that we take literally started out as metaphors, but then they died. And then poetry comes and gives new verve to the language. And this is what he has done throughout his poetry, and especially in the later years, really complex and beautiful metaphors in very simple, almost conversational language. Was he ever nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature? No, he wasn't, unfortunately. But last year, there was a poll by a Lebanese newspaper. It polled numerous Arab poets and novelists to ask them who they thought should be nominated for the Nobel Prize. Would it be Adonis, the Syrian poet, or a number of novelists? And Mahmoud Darwish got the most votes. He has won many, 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 many prizes in many countries, including this one. He won the Lannan Prize for freedom of expression. It's a major prize in this country. He has won prizes in the former Soviet Union, the Lenin Prize. And he's won many, many prizes in Europe and 